I'm going, to be, I'm going to go ahead and be shameless. There was a plug for serving, and since I'm the student pastor here at our Pellissippi campus, I'm just going to go ahead and recruit all of you who are looking for a place to serve. Our student ministry has uh, several opportunities for you to be a part of that and make a difference in the lives of maybe even some of our students who are down here front uh, worshiping with us this morning. But you can be a part of making a difference in their life and helping them walk out their relationship with Christ. So we'd love to have you be a part of that. If you'd like more information uh, about how you can get plugged in the overall life in serving, there there's the uh, First Steps kiosk out there. If you'd like specifically information about students, go out to our camp display and we can help you out there. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have been set free this morning? Jesus Christ has set you free. You've begun a relationship with him. Let me hear you this morning. Anybody? We got a couple of you this morning. And so what I want us to do is to unpack um, what do we do with this Christian life, right? Uh, and I'm really speaking this morning to believers, those who have a relationship with Christ. After salvation, what do we do with this Christian life? How do we live that out. And so this morning, if you're not a believer, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to really tune in because we're going to lay out what that looks like, what it means to follow Christ, to have a relationship. We're going to talk about how you can have that. All that is in this message. And if you would say, hey, after this message, hey, I want to know more about what it means to be a Christ follower. How do I begin that process? Down front, there will be pastors and people on our prayer team who would love to pray with you and walk you through what that decision would look like. But specifically, this morning, we're going to talk about how do we live the Christian life? How do we approach living out this Christian life? Holy Spirit, as we open up your word, as we study your truth, as we study what you have given us about who you are through the word, would you reveal insight? Would you help us to figure out how to apply this to our life? Matthew 18, 20 says that we're two or three or more are gathered in my name, there I will be also. And so Holy Spirit, we know that you are here. We come together for the same purpose and that is to grow in our understanding of who you are. And we pray that you would transform us. You would change us into the men and women that you're calling us to be. So we ask that you would move. We ask that you would speak. And we ask that your word would cut to the very marrow of our bones and that it would confront us with the reality of scripture and that we would conform our lives to who you're calling us to be this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're gonna, we're gonna unpack this, this uh, idea of the Christian life and what I've begun to realize as you look at the church in America, and I'm not just talking about Faith Promise Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm talking about church across the board in America, that our idea of the Christian life is actually uh, pretty pathetic in my opinion because here's what we've boiled down the Christian life to if we can just be honest is it's we go to church on the weekend we come and we sit through a service maybe you serve maybe you give and maybe you try to do good things you try to help people you'll go on a mission trip every now and then but it's a very weak it's a very low commitment it's a very low responsibility not much effort involved in this what we call Christian life and as I began to look at that and begin to see the reality of what the Christian life looks like in most churches in America today, as you begin to place that up against the men and women of Scripture, the men and women we see in the New Testament who knew Jesus Christ, who were living out the Christian life, their lives look totally different than ours, right? I mean, you've got men and women who sold everything that they had. I mean, I just want to venture and ask the question, how many of us in this room right now are ready to sell our homes and let's all move in together and take care of each other's needs? Anybody signing up for that this morning? No, because 
it's just not the Christian life anymore. But these men and women in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, that's what they did. I mean, they sold everything and they moved together and they, they ministered together and they took care of people's needs and no one was ever in need because they were always there to take care of their brothers and sisters and they sold themselves out for the gospel, for the gospel moving forward, for making a difference in the hearts and lives of people in their communities. They were sold out to the gospel. And what is so different, and I'm, I'm trying, I wanted to figure out what was so different about their Christian life that would lead them to do that, that is not necessarily true today. What was so unique about their understanding of the Christian life that led them to do that? Because you have men like Stephen that we read about in scripture who was so sold out to ministry and to taking care of people for meeting people's needs and touching people's lives that it said that he was actually killed for doing that. Scripture tells us that Stephen was hauled out into the middle of the street and they took rocks and they threw them at his head until he died. How about John, the great evangelist in Scripture, who, who understood the gospel, he understood the hope that was in Jesus Christ and he devoted his life to telling everyone he could about Jesus and what we understand happened to him is as he was preaching, they were so angry that they took him and they threw him over the city walls. And he fell on the ground and when he didn't die from the fall, they came out with huge clubs and they bashed his head into the ground until he died. Or how about Thomas? Doubting Thomas as scripture refers to him. A man who questioned everything he was told, but yet something was so interesting, something was so unique about his interaction with Jesus and about his relationship and life with Christ that all of that changed. And he was now no longer this doubting guy. He was so bold about his faith. He was so bold about moving forward and telling people about Christ. He was willing to risk his life and he ultimately gave his life sharing the gospel. We find out that he ended up, Thomas gave his life while preaching up on a stage to people that the religious leaders were so angry that they began to throw spears at him until they speared him to death. Let's go ahead and share with you. If you guys had spears, we'd be getting out on, on time every single week, right? You'd be getting out early every single week if you guys were armed with spears, right? But these men and women were willing to risk their life. They knew what could happen. They knew the risk involved in the gospel and sharing it and being a part of ministry. But yeah, they did it anyway. What was so different? These men and women lived when Jesus lived. Many of them knew Jesus personally. Some didn't. Paul didn't know Jesus personally. But yet they understood that Jesus didn't show up to introduce a new religion. There were plenty of religions that day. There were plenty of religions with rules and processes for how you do things. But yet Jesus showed up on the scene and introduced something totally different. See, Jesus showed up on the scene and he introduced this thing called a relationship with God. It was totally different. It was totally unique that you could have a relationship with God. And not only that, but Jesus lived and he was crucified. He was buried. God raised him from the dead and he's not dead, but he is. A, they believed he was alive in them. And Jesus was living in them and through them. And Jesus was continuing to live his life out through them as Christ's followers. They understood this, but yet somewhere this has gotten lost along the way. Somewhere between that time and today, this understanding of the Christian life has gotten lost. It's changed. It's not necessarily true of Christians today. What happened? See, if we were honest with ourselves, here's how we approach the Christian life. 
It's not about following Christ necessarily. We approach it like a religion. And all religions have this same thing in common. C.S. Lewis says in The Abolition of Man that all religions have this same common thread, that there are a set of rules, there are a set of guidelines, there's a set of laws that you follow. And whenever you break those laws, and there's a whole other set of those, uh, of new rules and laws that get you back into right standing where you should be, right? And so you follow the rules and there's rules for if you break the rules and all religions are pretty much this. Here's what you ought to do. You don't do it, now you're screwed, right? Now you're toast, you're hosed. That's, that's the basic premise of all religions out there. And somewhere around 250 years after Jesus, Christianity began to move from this living, vibrant Jesus Christ living in the Christ followers and living his life through them. It began to move away from that to religion. And it's easy to see how that would happen. Because our natural bent when it comes to God, our natural tendency, our default when it comes to God is religion. We say, hey, God, yes. Oh, you're awesome. Give me some rules. What are the rules I need to follow, right? Give me those rules. And the ones that we like, the ones we're good at, the ones we don't struggle with, right? We're proud of those. Oh, I am good at not lying. I I don't ever cheat. I'm good. I've got that down. But then you throw one at us that we're not good at and we come up with loopholes and reasons why it doesn't apply to us. And, you know, John was referring to the context of which this passage was referred. And that's not true 2000 years ago. Right. And we loophole those and throw them away and we build this religion for ourselves. And so we look at it and we go, oh, I'm not, I, you know, I'm good at not cheating. I'm, oh, I don't kill people. Woo, I got that one down, right? And, you know, I try to watch what I say, but ooh, mm, let's just not talk about that one. You know, Jesus didn't live in today, right? Jesus said, yeah, he did. He had the same struggles you and I have, guys, and he was able to handle it. So we, we loophole those and we throw them away and we build this religion for ourselves that we feel good about and we think that it makes us righteous. And this is what we're looking to. But if this is what you think the Christian life is about, if you think that the law and the rules that you think you're good at and the ones thrown away and you forget out, if you think this is what it means to be a Christ follower, that this is the Christian life, that this is what Jesus died on the cross for, if you think this is what the Christian life is about, you're missing it. In the words of my friend, Karen, who works on Sabbath, you're 50 shades of cray cray. Come on. This doesn't, Jesus is not honored with this. This didn't work. I mean, if this had worked, if the law worked, if if rules worked, then Jesus didn't have to come and die. If If this would give us righteousness before God, then Jesus didn't need to come. But the law doesn't work. And the reality that you know and I know this morning is we can't keep the law. No human's ever been able to keep the law. Only Jesus could. But yet we still come back to it time and time again. We think, oh, this is what puts me in good standing with God. Yes, I have Jesus, but oh, if I'll just be better at not lying, if I'll just try harder to keep the law, then then God will be happy and God will be pleased with me. It doesn't work. And Paul understands that struggle that we wrestle with when it comes to the rules, when it comes to the law. He said, hey, I'm dealing with it too. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 7. Paul was the most religious person in the day. He understood the law. He he had been taught the law. He knew it backwards and forwards. He had tons of scripture memorized. He knew every single law that we were supposed to live by according to the Old Testament. He had it down. 
And yet Paul identifies with us that after meeting Christ, he struggled with trying to go back to the law. He struggled with turning away from the law and embracing this new approach that Jesus was going to give us. He kept wanting to run back to this for righteousness. And listen to what he says in verse 15 through 16. Paul speaking, I do not understand what I do. For what I, what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I end up doing. Anybody feel that way, right? Anybody feel like Paul? Let me see your hands. You, you want to do right. You want to do good, but you just don't seem to do it. You end up doing the things that you hate and you wish you didn't do. Like you, you, you want to not cheat, but you end up cheating. And Paul says, so therefore I, I don't do what I want to do. And I agree that the law is good. Paul's saying, I'm not arguing that the law is good. It's good. We shouldn't cheat. We shouldn't lie. We shouldn't swear. We shouldn't commit adultery. We shouldn't kill. The problem is I just can't keep it. I just can't do it. I can't, I just seem to keep doing it over and over and over again. What I want to do, I don't seem to be able to muster up the strength to do it. But what I hate is what I end up doing, Paul says. Welcome to religion. It's the struggle. And if we would all get over ourselves and be honest this morning, there is a majority of us in this room who feel the same way. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm working hard. I'm trying to keep the law. I'm trying to be right. I'm trying to do what I'm supposed to do, but I never seem to be able to. And Paul describes what that effort, that wrestle with keeping the law will end up leaving us feeling like in verse 24. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will save me? What a wretched man I am. I feel hopeless. I feel like this doesn't make sense. I want to throw my hands up in the air and say, I give up. I quit. I feel wretched. Why does Paul feel wretched? Why do you and I so often feel like failures and wretched? Here's why. Because we know what we should do. We just can't do it. We know we should do this. We know this is good. We know that, yes, that honors God when we don't do those things, but yet somehow we can't seem to do it. And what Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Who will save me? And what I want you to notice is Paul doesn't say what will save me. Paul doesn't say, give me another rule that will help me. Give me a 10-step solution that's going to fix my problem. He says, who will save me? And he gives us the answer in verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul says a rule will not save you. A rule will not fix your problem. The law is not going to help. Only Jesus Christ can help. Only Jesus can step in and fix what is broken. Only Jesus is the hope for us. And if you and I, we will never experience the Christian life that we were designed to experience if we're approaching God through the law. If we're clinging to the rules, if that's our view of the Christian life, it's just trying to do that, we'll never experience the life that Christ died for us to experience. We'll miss it every time. Why? Because the law, the, the law is only good for this. You fell. The law is only good to point out where you blew it. The law is only good to point out here's the standard and you don't measure up to it. That's what it exists for. So we can't keep it. And as long as you are approaching God, as long as you are approaching the Christian life with this frame of reference and this mindset, it's about me trying to keep the law. It's about me trying to do this. And this makes me righteous. This puts me in good standing before God. Listen, you're going to be extremely frustrated and want to quit. I've worked with teenagers for the past 12 years of my life. You want to know why teenagers graduate from high school and they walk away from their faith? It's because this 
It's what we've taught them the Christian life is all about. Come meet Jesus, behavior modification, quit doing this, stop doing that, don't do this, now do that. It's all about behavior modification and they want to do it. They really want to do that. They really want to not lie. They really want to be a good Christ follower. They really want to do these things, but they can't seem to do it. And then when they mess up, they get frustrated. And after several years of this battle with trying to do what they want to do and they can't do it, they throw their hands up in the air and then say, I quit. And in their minds, they can't rationalize that they have the wrong approach to the Christian life. And what they do is this. They say, this whole Jesus thing, this whole Christ thing isn't legit. It's broken. I can't do it. And they can't separate in their minds that, no, it's not broken. You just had the wrong approach. See, when Jesus came and Jesus died on the cross, he did something for us that we couldn't do. When Jesus gave his life, he did something, accomplished something for us that we could not accomplish on our own. See, all of us were born into sin. All of us, because Adam, the first person who existed, our father, our earthly father, chose to sin and disobey God. All of us were born into sin. Here's all of us. We're little smiley faces. Some of us are pink. Some of us are purple. Here's my wife. She's really cute, right? And there's my little daughter. She's hanging. We're all born into sin. We're all born into Adam. So we're all sinful. You don't have to teach us how to do wrong. We get it. It's in our DNA. We're all born into sin. We're all destined to die and spend an eternity separated from God. But when Jesus came and Jesus crawled up on that cross and he gave his life for you and I, what he did is he broke the power of sin and death. And when we put our faith and trust in him, he takes my wife first because, you know, she's the best, right? And he puts us in Christ. He takes us out of Adam when we put our faith and trust in him and he puts us in Christ. And now no longer what is true of Adam is now no longer true of us but what is true of Christ is now true of us and we're no longer a slave to sin we're no longer a slave to the law we're now a slave to Christ we're a slave to the spirit this is what controls us this is what consumes us and this is what Paul and the early Christ followers gave their life for it's what Paul's talking about in Romans 6 14 where he says therefore uh, sin shall no longer be your master for you are now no longer under the sin but under grace he says sin no longer controls you the law no longer controls you Christ controls you through grace Paul speaking just a few verses ahead of where we were in verse 15 in chapter 7 talking to the Jewish people who had a fondness for the law. The law was breed into them. They understood it. They knew everything they were supposed to do. It was what they focused on. It was their identity. It was their approach to God was the law. He said, now you got to get beyond that. It's not about the law anymore. There's a new way. Listen to what he tells them in chapter seven. He gives them this illustration of just like a man who is married to a woman And when that woman dies, he is released from his commitment to her. He's released from his obligation to her. He is freed from that commitment. Listen to what he says in verse four. Just like that illustration of the man and the woman, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. That word you have died is not a past tense verb. It is a future verb. It means that it is an ongoing process of you dying to the law, of you choosing to say, this is not how I approach God any longer. This isn't the approach I have to the Christian life. I am dead to that. I'm alive to something new. What is that new? He lays it out to him who has been raised from the grave. Who is that? It's Jesus. 
We now belong to Jesus in order that we may bear fruit for God. And I love verse six, but now we are released from the law. The law is no longer our slave. We're no longer bound to this. This no longer controls us. And now we serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We're now slaves to Christ. We're slaves to the Holy Spirit. He is the one who controls us and leads us. There is a new way and it is following Christ. The new approach is to follow Christ. How do you do that? Is it about following rules? No, it is not about following rules. Scriptures give us two daily requirements of us if we're going to follow Christ. Two simple requirements of us if we're going to choose to follow Christ. And the first one we find in John 15, 5, Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you abide in me, some translations use remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, you've got to abide in me. He doesn't say follow the rules. He doesn't say stop being a cheater. He doesn't say try harder not to lie. He says you've got to learn to abide in me. That word abide simply means this, to position yourself in a place to connect with God. Position yourself daily in a place where you can connect and interact with God. You got to build time into your daily life where you are connecting with Christ. You're connecting with his truth. And one way we do that is in the word. We get in the word. Why do we get in the word? Why do we read the word? Here's why. Because it's the greatest way in which the Holy Spirit speaks to us today. As we read the word, this magical thing that I can't explain to you, you just have to experience it happens. The Holy Spirit begins to speak to us. He begins to teach us. We begin to understand more of who Christ is. So we get in the word. And some of you, and you don't understand my schedule. You don't understand how ridiculously crazy my life is. You're right. I don't. But the reality is this. What are you more concerned about, your schedule or your soul? And if you're not careful, you'll forfeit your soul for your schedule. You'll let the world around you and your kids and your job and your boss and your friends set your schedule and they'll control your life and you'll end up missing Christ. It's up to you to take responsibility for that and say, I'm building time in my life to abide in Christ. I'm building time to to sit down and study the word, to read the word, to let the Holy Spirit connect. We got to make time to pray. Let me tell you one of the great, and it's not just a on your knees. There's times for being on your knees in prayer. But all throughout our day that we're stopping and taking time to connect with God, letting the Spirit lead us, letting the Spirit talk to us. One of the greatest times for me is actually on my way to work. Here's my normal on the way to work. I'm singing and screaming some song at the top of my lungs that it's horrible. And if anyone ever heard, they would laugh. I mean, people drive by and are laughing at me when I pull up, you know, to the, the stop sign. That I'm just singing so loud. Turn the radio off. How many more times do you need to hear I'm sexy and I know it? You're not sexy. We all know it. Turn the radio off and connect with Christ, right? Spend some time in prayer. How many times do you need to hear that song? It's 15 minutes on the way every single day on my way into work that I just get to spend in silence and just praying with Christ. We build time. And what Jesus is saying is as you learn to abide in me, as you learn to allow my life to infuse into your life, you'll begin to see that my life begins to be lived out in and through you. And this amazing thing will begin to happen 
the Holy Spirit will begin to lead you. The Holy Spirit will begin to guide you and point out what he wants you to do, which leads us to the second requirement Scripture gives us if we want to follow Christ, and that is this, is that we stay in step with the Spirit. We got to learn to stay in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5, Paul talks to you. If you've got your Bibles, turn there. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul says this, so I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Amen. Anybody want to not not want to do these things? And Paul says learn to walk by the Spirit. It's not about following the rules. It's about learning to keep in step with the Spirit. That word there where he says walk by the Spirit means this, to, to literally position yourself behind the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is here and you are one step behind the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit begins to move and walk, you're keeping in step following the Holy Spirit as he leads you and guides you. He teaches you what to do. And here's what's going to happen. As you follow the Holy Spirit in the next verse, he says the Spirit is opposed to the flesh. And so the Spirit's going to lead you away from sin. You won't have to worry about sin because if you're following and keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, He's going to lead you away from sin. And He's going to lead you to what Christ has for you. So you don't have to worry about trying to keep the law anymore because you're now controlled by the Spirit. And He's going to lead you to do the things that honor and please Christ. But see, that's easier said than done. Following the Spirit is scary. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you when the Holy Spirit starts speaking to me, I'm going, not again. Please stop. <laughs> like, you're going to embarrass me. You're going to make me do something I don't want to. I mean, I mean, the Holy Spirit a lot of times leads us to do things that we don't want to do. He leads us to do things that are scary. I remember this past week, this week has been nuts for me. Our house is on the market. We've had showings left and right. We have to keep it immaculate with a two-year-old. That's a miracle to do that, right? And if you, I'm just going to go ahead and help you. If you request showings for somebody and you're going to look at their house, give them more than 30 minutes to get the house ready, right? Come on, right? It's like, and so we have to leave our house immaculate every day. I've got camp coming up, two weeks of camp. My schedule is so crazy right now. And I have my backpack on. I'm running out the door and the Holy Spirit just hit me at the top of the stairs and said, go in that bonus room and pray for your wife and your daughter. I don't know what's going on in, in my wife's life that day. I don't know what she's feeling. And I began to go, God, you don't understand. I'm going to be late for work. I've got all this going on. And in case you didn't know, camp's coming up, right? I, I, I mean, I've got all this to get done. I need to get to work. I can't do this. And finally, I just went in there. I'm arguing about praying with my wife. This is ridiculous. And I go in and my wife's sitting in the recliner. I said, hey, I just want to pray for you and Elon today. And I didn't even have to ask my little two-year-old to do this. She came walking across the room, crawled up in that recliner with my wife. I laid hands on him and began to pray for him. As I'm praying, the most amazing thing begins to happen. My little two-year-old daughter began to pray out loud. In Tuanese, I don't know what she says. I mean, only my wife can dis, uh, you know, d- d- discern what that language means and what she's saying. But you can hear, mommy, daddy. I mean, it's just, I'm like, what are you saying? I don't get it. But she's praying out loud. I got the coolest opportunity with my little daughter to teach her as a two-year-old how to pray out loud. And I would have missed that if I just ignored the Spirit and walked right on out. Contrast that to just a few months ago. ago, Inside Chick-fil-A, we had eaten lunch 
and I needed to go get a refill on Diet Coke. It was like my fifth one for the day. I get it. I'm addicted. I'm going to die from Diet Coke poisoning. Don't find me after the service and warn me of all the health hazards. I'm fully aware of those, right? We're all going to die of something. If I die of Diet Coke, it'll be a glorious death, right? <laughs> I was getting my fifth refill and I was at the counter and I looked over and there's this man who had to be late 70s, early 80s standing at the counter and I realized he's downcast or something that's not right. There's something unsettled about his, his demeanor. And the Holy Spirit kicks in. I'm like, oh, stop. No, we're in public. We're in Chick-fil-A, right? And he says, I just want you to pray for this man. I'm like, uh, hold up. We're Chick-fil-A. It's lunchtime. The line is out the door. The drive throughs wrapped around twice around the building because everybody thinks they have to go to Chick-fil-A, right? And I'm like, this is, not, this is weird. I'm not, he's going to think I'm strange. Like there's people in here. They don't, you know, this is, a, this is a Christian business. I get it, but they don't want me to pray, right? And I'm like, this, is, this, isn't, this isn't the Holy Spirit. This is the devil. He's tricking me. He's trying to trick me into prayer. I've got it figured out, right? And I'm arguing and I'm wrestling with it. And finally, I mean, I just have to ashamedly say I ignored the Holy Spirit before I could even get out of there. The lady at the register asked the man, how's your wife? And he broke down and began to cry. And I'm like, I'm definitely not praying now, right? The dude is sobbing in the middle of Chick-fil-A. He's obviously a loon, right? I mean, what do I say to that? I, I mean, I don't have words, right? The Holy Spirit will lead me. I kind of forgot that whole thing, right? And I just blew out of there. I didn't even get out of Turkey Creek and the Holy Spirit was just pounding me so hard. You missed it. Hey, hello, I'm right here. That whole follow me deal you're going to be preaching about in a couple of weeks, right? Let's do it, right? And I whipped the car around, did an illegal U-turn. Please don't tell the cops about that. Probably the camera's got it and I'll have a ticket coming soon. But I turn back and I go back. I fight all the traffic to get back into um, Chick-fil-A. And I'm just hoping that he's eating lunch there and he's not. And I go up to the lady who was at the register and I said, hey, what was the deal with that gentleman? She said his wife of 50 years has been sick and in the hospital just right across the street. And he just found out today that she's not going to make it. She only has a few hours to live. And I missed a chance to be Christ to that man. To wrap an arm around him and tell him I love him. Tell him that Christ loved him. I don't know. I don't know his story. All I know is the Holy Spirit spoke and said, go this direction. And I chose not to follow it's up to you and I to follow as the Spirit leads. And as Paul says in verse 18, if we are led by the Spirit, listen, you are no longer under the law. Why? Because the law doesn't control you. You're not a slave to the law. You're now a slave to the Spirit of Christ who is leading you. And as we seek to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, this amazing thing will begin to happen in our life. We'll begin to produce fruit. And it's not us producing it. It's the Holy Spirit producing it in us. Galatians 5.22 says, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, listen, as you begin to stay in step with the Spirit and He's leading you, you're going to begin to see the Holy Spirit produce fruit in your life. And it's like, poop, love, poop, peace, poop, goodness, poop, self-control. And you're going to go, whoa, where's that coming from? Like, that's not me, right? Yeah, you're right. It's not you. It's the Holy Spirit. And it's you learning to abide in Christ, creating margin and space in your life to connect with God on a regular basis. 
And as you do, as the Spirit leads, it's about you keeping in step with the Spirit. And as you do, Jesus Christ will begin to live his life continually through you over 2,000 years after his death and resurrection. Just like he did in the early Christians' lives that we read about in Scripture. And when you fail, and you will, you'll step into stupid. You'll step into sin. You're still going to battle sin. When you are like me in the middle of Chick-fil-A and argue with the Holy Spirit and choose not to follow it, you will. The most amazing thing will happen is Instead of having this pity party for yourself, instead of going, oh, I blew it again and sounding like Britney Spears singing, oops, I did it again. You won't be walking around having a pity party for yourself. You just get back up and you get in step with the Spirit. We're all going to blow it. We're all going to mess up. It's the greatest way the enemy has Christians defeated is because we sit around and wallow in our self-pity because we blew it again and we stepped into sin. And Jesus saying, hey, duh, I knew you were going to do it. I died on the cross for it. It's paid for. It's done with. Get over it. I have. Get back in step with the Spirit. Get back in there and follow Him. I would say this weekend across all of our campuses, There are men and women who are tired of religion, who are tired of approaching God through rules and regulations. And if this weekend what you would say is, hey, I want to follow Jesus. I want to live a radical life. Then my challenge to you is simply this, this week. Build time to abide in Christ. Get things off your schedule. Make time to schedule time to abide in Christ. And when the Spirit starts to lead, unashamedly follow Him. Stay in step with Him. You'll begin to see Christ live His life in and through you. God, would you give us the boldness and courage to follow Jesus, to not find our identity in approaching you through uh, rules and regulations through religion, but that we would approach you through Jesus Christ, following Him, and would we make a difference in our homes and in our communities and in the, in the world around us this week? In Jesus' name, amen. Real quick before we go, um, this message is really kind of the ending message for camp. Uh, we go to camp Friday of this week. We leave, take our students to camp. We have a second week, July 27th through 31st. We're going to be talking about this whole idea. How do you be made, how can you be made into a Christ follower? We're going to be unpacking why does God allow us to continue to struggle with sin? What's the purpose of that? How do you engage and, and fight and engage the battle against sin? And I'm telling you this, if somebody would have shared what we're sharing this week at camp with me as a teenager, it would have radically changed my life. So if you have a 6th through 12th grader out there who's not signed up, there's two weeks, July 12th through the 16th, July 27th through the 31st, right through those doors, there's a, a, a table with a TV and a banner over it. You can register them for camp and get them there. If you would like to help, we have a ton of students who would like to go to camp, can't uh, afford that. If you would like to help and be a part of sponsoring teenagers to be a part of that experience, you can go to that same booth, let them know you'd like to help with the scholarship. If you want to do cash or check, you can do that today. If you want to do a debit or credit card, you can uh, put your name down. We'll call you this week and square that away. Has it been good to be here today? Anybody? Awesome.
It's an honor to be here. If you'd like more information on your next step or about serving or volunteering in any part of the church right out there at our next steps uh, kiosk, you can uh, connect with someone. We have people down to pray with you. Have a great week. We'll see you next weekend.